to this episode of the Yukon Launch Podcast. I'm Emma Bjorngard Bassane, Academic Advisor at the Yukon Stanford Campus. And I'm Kayla Hogreef, Academic Advisor, Hartford Campus. Today we talk to Dr. Rebecca Akupchuk. She is a professor here at Yukon and she teaches health psychology and she teaches yoga and meditation classes here as well. Uh, a little bit of a background about Rebecca. She graduated uh, from Cornell University as an undergrad with a degree in psychology, um, and she had a concentration in statistics. She got her PhD from UConn in physiology and neurobiology. So Kayla and I have been talking about how in general across the country, there is a trend of college students feeling more stress, experiencing anxiety at higher um, levels than before, so we thought this would be an interesting conversation uh, to have. And honestly, until maybe within the last year or so, when I would think of meditation, I would think of like a guy on a mountaintop, like touching his <laughs> forefinger to his thumb, like a, like a super spiritual kind of unattainable idea of meditation. And that is not what it is at all. And I realized that Emma and I went to this a conference on the Yukon campus like several months ago and Becky Akabchuk led a small group in a meditation and you can just almost immediately feel the effects of just meditating one time and how it reduces your stress and anxiety levels and so it really opened my eyes to what a powerful tool this is and and how students can benefit from it so much. Yeah, I think just going off of that point too, I thought that to meditate, you know, you had to spend like an hour a day doing it. But I've learned that it's something that you can do, you know, for five to 10 minutes a day. And it's 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 pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Even as someone that commutes by train to the Yukon Stanford campus from New Haven, I sometimes use time on the train to meditate, which has been very relaxing and, and energizing. In yeah. A way. So please enjoy listening to Becky as she explains what meditation is, the science behind it, how it can help you in your personal, professional, and academic life. And she also provides some awesome tips for how to get started and where to go when you're looking for more resources. What is your name and position at UConn? Hi, yeah, my name is Becky Akabchuk, and I've been at UConn for about eight years now. I um, got my PhD here in physiology and neurobiology department, and I work now at the Institute for Collaboration on Health Intervention in Policy, also known as INCHIP. And um, at INCHIP, I'm a postdoc, and I've also been teaching yoga and meditation for about 15 years now. Um, and I actually teach a, uh, a meditation class here at UConn at uh, CMHS on Mondays. So if any of your students ever want to come, <laughs> we have a, a class at, at noon every Monday, a uh, meditation class. And I also teach yoga to the faculty and staff here at UConn. And I run workshops uh, for different groups here on campus. I've done um, groups with different sports teams. I've done them with different faculty groups on campus. Um, I'm not teaching any classes right now, but I have taught uh, health psychology here at UConn, and I've taught the, the neuroscience of meditation at Connecticut College. But right now I'm just focusing on research, and my research program is looking at how mindfulness could help build resilience in mental well-being. 
That's so fascinating. Do you do you find that a lot of students come to your meditation workshops at the Counseling and Mental Health Services? Yeah, so that's just like a weekly class that I do. Yeah, so we get, uh, it's really neat because it's a big mix of students that show up. Some students just come in and try it once. Some come every week. And then there's graduate students that come. There's professors that come. The frequent flyers that come every time. Yeah, what I really love is having everyone kind of sit in a circle with professors, grad students, undergrads, staff, like the whole mix just kind of all at the same level is really nice. That's re- awesome. Refreshing. Yeah. And when you um, were teaching your, when you were teaching the undergrads, I know we've spoken before and you had mentioned that you incorporated mindfulness, mm-hmm. like made it a requirement of the curriculum of the class. Yes. Right? And so did you get a lot of feedback from students about that? Or? Yeah. So, well, when I taught health psychology, I didn't make meditation required as a homework assignment. Oh, okay. What I did is I led guided meditations in class. That's what it was. And the students would tell me how much they would look forward to coming to class because they knew it would give them a little break, a little time to reset. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they really enjoyed that. For homework assignment, I gave them an option to pick up a new healthy habit. So it could be, you know, some people wanted to go on a run. Some people wanted to, you know, eat more vegetables. But a lot of people chose to start a meditation start practice a meditation. on their own. Um, that's that's yeah. so cool. And I, I've jumped ahead in the questions no already. Problem. But, so um, let me backtrack. What do you see right now as the biggest sources of stress and anxiety for college students nowadays? Ah, good question. (laughs) So, yeah, I guess looking at that, I would think about, you know, the typical sources of stress that were around 20 years ago when I went to school. And those, of course, are still present today. Um, You know, adjusting to being away from home Mm -hmm. is a big source of stress for incoming freshmen. Um, The pressure to excel pressure to you know get the grades you know we put so much pressure on ourselves to do well i think so a lot of that pressure is kind of like that internal pressure Mm -hmm. um and you know balancing time making new friends so kind of the typical stresses um but i think we have some different things going on now too with the rising cost of college i'm seeing a lot about you know financial stress is really playing a bigger role on college campuses now more than ever um, in the sense that you know people are holding multiple jobs maybe to pay for college Mm -hmm. which makes you know more stress because you have less time and those even students if their parents are paying for it they feel like an obligation almost to do well even more so so they're putting more pressure on themselves Mm -hmm. because they know their parents are putting so much of their money into their college education. Yeah. So so I, I definitely hear students talking about that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But I think, you know, besides those, that there's, there's even more things going on besides that that we didn't have back, you know, when I went to school with yeah. cell phones and social media. That adds more stress to the typical college student's life, too, with... Um, you know, the cell phone is a major distraction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that makes sometimes focusing a little bit more difficult when you're getting constantly interrupted. Yeah, constantly and bombarded and texts and t- tweets and pings and your phone going off, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of luring you away from your studies, right? <laughs> yeah. Just constant temptation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some cases, it can almost be considered an addiction, you know, for a, a lot of people, right? Yeah. Um, 
so that that could add and then of course we have the social media right so we have all this social comparison that we're doing mm-hmm. and the added stress of you know what is everybody else doing and comparing myself to everybody else mm-hmm. just constantly like kind of in your face all the time so so that creates a lot of judgment a lot of self-judgment which is a you know could really contribute to stress and then I think overall just um, you know, especially college students that are starting to really pay attention to what's going on in the world, they wake up and they check the news media. You don't even know what the state of the world is going to be in the sense of like our, you know, our government leaders right now. Mm-hmm. We're not really feeling confident in that. Um, and that gives kind of a really a almost a sense of unease about the future, a little bit of distrust uh, where um, I think that that just kind of contributes to this overall feeling of anxiety mm-hmm. about the future when you have that uncertainty, that fear, um, and the the lack of security and, and trust in right. the government that's supposed to be kind of taking care of things. So. Right. It's like so. So students are getting it from all angles. Like yeah. maybe some pressure and stress from home, maybe financial pressure that they put on themselves to perform, and then just you know society as a whole right now with social yeah. media and the interconnectedness it's like both a blessing and a curse I, mm. I feel like you know to be so connected with people in a way that we never have been before but it you know comes with its downfalls of like you said social comparison and you go on instagram and you see like this person's going here for spring break but i'm not doing anything and like this person's life seems perfect and so yeah and it's almost like that paradox of you know we're, we're so ultra connected but how connected are we right. really in a real heartfelt sense like it's almost like people are so connected on a superficial sense now but we're lacking really deep connections right. which is leading to like increased levels of loneliness and anxiety and depression and yeah, yeah absolutely so why do you see meditation as an effective way to manage stress yeah, so I think meditation is a really powerful tool and it's really exciting that a lot of the students on campus are getting interested Mm -hmm. in using this tool um like kind of in a nutshell it it changes the way you think you know it changes the way you perceive the world it changes the way how you perceive your own stress in the sense that it's not going to just like wipe away your stress you know (laughs) meditate and all your stress is going to be gone like no that's not really how it works but when we have stressful things, you know, stressful events are going to keep happening. We're not going to stop those events from happening. But how do we handle those events? You know, mm. how do we kind of roll with the punches? Like, I, I love this quote um, that Judson Brewer uses when he teaches mindfulness. He's one of the leaders in the field. But he says, you know, that you can't stop the wave, but you could learn how to surf. So I think that that's kind of what, what mindfulness teaches us and meditation helps us with. And, and really, like, in the there's all different levels of mindfulness and meditation practice, but kind of at the most basic level, a lot of times you learn to work with the breath, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So it, we could answer this question about how meditation could help you manage stress from like a physiological level too, mm-hmm. right? So if it, you're working with the breath and you're taking these long, deep, smooth breaths, you're breathing in and out through your nose, that's going to trigger like a whole cascade of physiological events inside of your body. It's going to help rebalance your nervous system, get you out of your kind of fight or flight that we're kind of constantly being in, you know, every time we get the ping on the phone, this and that. And, you know, we're just kind of constantly on this, on edge, you know, the kind of baseline levels of anxiety. So, so we're kind of resetting the nervous system by taking time out, 
physiologically through the breath. Um, we're lowering cortisol levels, stress hormones inside the body. Hmm. Um, and the breath is kind of like this window into our nervous system. Like it's our window into controlling different physiological mechanisms inside of our body too. That like, um, you know, sometimes when I'm teaching students, I'm like, could you just, could you lower your blood pressure right now on command? <laughs> and they look at me like, uh, what are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, can you slow down your heart rate then on commands? And they're like, mm, I could try. I say, well, could you take long, deep, smooth breaths? They're like, oh, yeah, I could yeah, do that. Do, yeah. <laughs> well, by taking long, deep, smooth breaths and you lengthen out the exhale, that's triggering the release of nitric oxide, which is help dilating your blood vessels, which is helping bring more oxygen, lower blood pressure, slowing down your heart rate. So you're actually like getting into all these deep mechanisms inside your body just by breathing nice and deep. So it's a pretty powerful tool. And isn't correct me if I'm wrong. There's phys- like physiological changes that happen to your brain like over mm. a period of time of using meditation, right? Yes. Yeah. Those are some of the most exciting studies to me, oh, okay. the ones that show the physiological changes to the brain. Yeah. I love those studies when they look at MRIs mm-hmm. and they look at... So, so some of that research first came out um, from Sarah Lazar's research lab at Harvard, and she's oh, one of the people that we actually partner with in our in our research lab here at UConn. And her initial studies that generated like those Time magazine covers that say, "Grow more gray matter yeah. <laughs> by meditating," yeah. you know, and you're like, "Whoa, how do I do that?" Um, so what her research first looked at was it compared long-term meditators mm-hmm. to just normal, healthy aging. Um, So looking at, so across aging, our brains actually shrink. Like that's normal. Okay. Okay. Kind of startling (laughs) for some people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Usually startles people when they first say that. Okay. So that's like aging, like after age 50 onward, start to lose some of the prefrontal cortex, starts to shrink and continues shrinking with age. Okay. That's normal, healthy aging. Okay. And then they look at long-term meditators, and their brains actually don't shrink. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. And long-term meditators being, like, people who have done it for, like, every day for 20 years? Or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're talking, yeah. <laughs> long, long time. Okay. Yeah. So that was the first study. The next study was like, okay, well, that's great and all. And how do we know it's really from meditation? Because those people are probably eating healthier too Mm -hmm. and doing other things. Well, now let's do an eight-week study where that's the typical meditation study. So all these like benefits that you hear about, like laundry lists of benefits that, oh, meditation and mindfulness could help you reduce stress, reduce anxiety. Sleep better, focus more, yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It goes on and on and on and on. Most of those studies are done in people that have completed an eight-week mindfulness intervention Mm -hmm. where they're meeting with a group, doing meditation every day for eight weeks. Not, you know, it could be a few minutes each day, you know, but it's it's a a pretty substantial amount. So that's important, I think, to keep in mind when we talk about the benefits of meditation, that those, all those benefits are associated with a daily practice. Um, 
so that's that's gonna be a key take home. <laughs> you know? yeah. But um, but back to the brain. Mm-hmm. So what they do with that with this the follow up study to that was and they they teach people meditation for eight weeks and look at what's going on, like look at different areas of the brain, and they see that the regions of the brain that are associated with managing emotions and executive function, like you know, all these kind of key areas of the brain, memory, these areas of the brain are getting stronger in a sense after a meditation uh, intervention. So so that's powerful in the sense that it shows that those those differences that you see in the long-term meditators, now we see that we could actually change the, the shape of the brain in the sense of we can build up the muscle, mm-hmm. like actually building up muscle mass and carriers of the brain for emotion regulation, mental processing. Um, and we also see like more functional connectivity in those regions as well. How long or what, what is the period of time that somebody would regularly need to practice meditation before they start to see like even the most minimal changes like that? Yeah, so that's a great question. And it's kind of like the million dollar question. I think like <laughs> in terms of like, you know, at what level are we measuring? You know, are we looking at MRI scans? But I'd say like what's more important to, is to like kind of back that up and say like, in my study that I did here at UConn, I had college students meditate for five or ten minutes a day mm-hmm. every day for a month, which really meant that most of them did it like four days a week or five days a <laughs> yeah. week for maybe five or ten minutes, okay? Because mm-hmm. we had them, you know, check in with that. And almost all of them saw changes in terms of wow. the, the first change that was reported by most of them like meaning first meaning like within a couple days that they they feel changes is in their sleep it's easier to sleep i fall asleep easier one person even mentioned i i haven't slept a full night's sleep the whole time i've been at college and i just i learned i slept through that's crazy (laughs) yeah in a good way (laughs) yeah yeah so sleep is kind of one of those initial things that people might notice Mm -hmm. and then with in our study we measured pre-post changes in anxiety, stress, depression, resilience, um, emotion regulation, all those were st- statistically significant, and that was one month of practice for just a small, you know, five minutes a day. It seems so. very, like, attainable, like mm. it's not out of reach. So, but, so how would students begin to incorporate meditation and mindfulness in their everyday life? Yeah, so, um, I asked that question to my daughter because she's a student <laughs> and, um, and I want to just read you her answer to that because I think hers, she, she's got a little insight into that. So her, her first thing was, I would recommend starting slowly, such as five minutes a day. I think by jumping right into it and forcing yourself to meditate for some extended amount of time, you're going to get off on the wrong foot and it could cause you to dislike or resent the meditation. But begin slowly and really emphasize the time that you set aside for meditation is really meant for bettering yourself. And I also recommend taking it seriously. Mm-hmm. So I think what she's getting at there is like, I know when she started her practice, she really held herself accountable. Um, and she was using one of the apps, the 10% Happier app, which is the okay. one that I used in, in the study. But, um, you know, there's tons of apps out there. So um, I don't think you know, one app is necessarily better than the other. It's kind of finding something that works for you is really key, you mm-hmm. know? So find a practice that you enjoy doing, uh, step number one, right? Maybe find a regular time of day to incorporate that. 
Um, this may be step number two, which for different people is going to work at different times. I think one of the, one of the things that I know students have problems with is they'll say, "Oh, I fall asleep every time I meditate," and I'm like, "Well, where are you meditating?" Well, I'm, I'm meditating lying down in bed. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, and so if you want to fall asleep better, maybe that's a great strategy. Right. But if you're looking to focus better or, you know, kind of depending what, what you're trying to get out of it, you kind of structure things a little bit differently. Um, and the students that really, I think, had the biggest benefit in my study were the ones that had that well first of all that practiced more like in the middle of the day or first thing in the morning sometime when they were awake mm-hmm. um and they they felt a shift in their relationship to their self like meaning that harsh self-judgment that we constantly bombard on themselves it's the students that said you know i've always been so hard on myself i'm always pushing myself i'm always you know trying to stay up all night long to study and and this helped me realize that that's actually not that effective that i'm you know i could actually be more effective when i take better care of myself Mm, that's interesting when i when i take breaks when i set aside you know some time for self-care and to reset and so the students that really got that kind of self-care piece those are the ones that would that were saying after the study like this study changed my life you know, they, they were the ones who really felt like really big impacts. Um, but I think that was because of, you know, how they, they went about their practice in a sense, too, that they were, um, you know, doing it every day. Not, you know, they're only doing it five, ten minutes, um, but really committing to that and holding themselves accountable. And one thing that's important, I think, with accountability in especially with with college students too, that that demographic is like kind of balancing co- um, accountability with compassion. Mm. You know that we're we're not like cutting yourself some slack. If you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I missed yesterday. That's okay. It's not a big deal, in the sense that I'm not going to beat myself up, mm-hmm. but I'm still going to hold myself accountable tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So really, kind of having that that kind of accountable yet kind. You know, firm and friendly. Nice <laughs> yeah, firm and friendly. <laughs> like that. That's an important mindset, I think, to go into it. Um, and a lot of students, you know, when they first start a meditation practice, they'll be like, "Am I doing it right?" You know, "Oh, I, I don't feel anything yet." And you know, and and that, like, well, you don't go to the gym once and expect to like have some super strong bicep immediately. Yeah. You know, like you you just have to commit to the practice, stick with it, and in in terms of doing it right, maybe not think so hard about that part, <laughs> you know. Um, but there are like, a, and that's why it's nice to go to like the group class on Mondays because you could ask questions, you know, you could voice your concerns, and then you hear like, oh wait, everybody else in the room is worried about whether or not I'm doing it right too, and so what really is the concern there? And then we could kind of get to the bottom of that a little bit, which a lot of times people. You know, sometimes people feel like more stressed after they meditate. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, yeah, that could happen sometimes. Is that like seems? Does that seem to be the most common question or concern that you get? Is like, am I doing it right? It's a very or, common question. Okay. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, especially when you know we're we want to do everything right in our lives, right? <laughs> we're, we're striving for perfection in all these different ways. Or like, how do I know when I'm doing it right? I don't know. You know. Um, 
so so I think with with that it's just kind of just keep it simple keep it basic in terms of you know you're just trying to anchor the minds and but it's just how you do that you know if you do that with this kind of harsh Mm self-judgment or you could do that just with kindness and compassion and every time you notice your mind wandering off and you're thinking about oh I'm worrying about my test again so the students that say like it makes me more stressed that's because well first of all they feel like from this is from what they said they said you know I feel like I'm wasting my time I should be studying right now I'm taking five minutes to myself so that's kind of a mindset first of all right yeah like I'm not valuing self-care I'm not valuing this time to reset I need to to study more you know so so that kind of needs a little bit of a mindset shift Mm -hmm. to place a little bit more value on this practice Um, so that's important I think um I remember when I when I graduated from college, I started doing yoga, and we would do the you know a short meditation at the end and beginning of every yoga class, and I would get so frustrated because I was I would think to myself, my mind is supposed to be empty. I'm supposed to be mm. not not have a million thoughts floating around like what am I going to eat for dinner and or what do I have to do at work tomorrow, and I just could not get these thoughts out of my head and I, and so I relate to that a little bit of being frustrated like I'm not doing this right what's wrong with me I can't get my mind to be quiet so do you have any yeah words of advice for that <laughs> yeah that is very very typical that's totally normal mm-hmm. too and with that is because what the mind's job right what's the mind's job is to think right right the mind wants to think and when left to its own devices it's gonna think about all these things it has to worry about in the future, in the past. I should have done this. The embarrassing you know, thing and, I did in middle school, <laughs> you know, yeah. ridiculous things. Yeah, and they actually, uh, you know, looked at what the brain does when not told to do anything mm-hmm. under an MRI machine, and they see, oh, it's all this like kind of self-referential processing where we go kind of go over and over the things that we could have done, should have done, should do, worry about, you know, all that, and they, they call that the default mode network because that really is our default way of being, is to kind of have that kind of messy mind stuff going on, right? Um, So meditation helps us learn how to step out of that. But at first, what actually you're doing is you're saying, paying attention to your thoughts. Well, I'm paying attention to that fact that my thoughts are all over the place and I'm worrying about all this stuff, right? So that's where the non-judgment piece comes into play. Mm -hmm. So, and the noting practice. So exactly like you said, you're in your yoga class, you're trying to relax, and you notice that you're, what were you thinking about? Tell me again. Like, what What was I going to make for dinner? When was I going to go to the groceries? Like, just the, yeah. just the normal things. Yeah, chatter. Yeah. Chatter. So, yeah, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? That comes in. So right at that moment, as soon as you n- notice that thought, what would you do? I would you know, spend a couple seconds going through the options of what's for dinner and then be like, stop, this is ridiculous and try to pull myself back to the class. Okay. Perfect example. This is so perfect. (laughs) Okay. Because you added this extra piece in there that we would want to like cut out. Okay. okay. All right. So, you know, first of all, you got caught up in the story. Mm -hmm. So what's for dinner and you started like making lists and all that. So, so soon as you notice you want to catch it immediately and not keep going in that story. And then you just want to bring it right back to your anchor point, which means you have to have an anchor point. Oh, okay. Okay. So maybe it's going to be your breath. Maybe it's going to be counting the breath. Um, you know, maybe it's the sensation of the breath. 
or you know you you get to pick what your anger point is but the thing that you added in there was you noticed you kept going with it a little longer and then you beat yourself up for it too mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so you added all that self-judgment into there. Right? Yes. So so it's like, what's for dinner? Oh, thinking about dinner again. Back to the breath. Yeah. Simple noting practice. So it's noting, returning to the anchor. Oh, noting, returning to the anchor. Like really, really simple. And then that kind of gets us out of this habit, which we've paved in our brain. Like think about all this is neuroplasticity here at work. Mm. Right. So we've paved Anytime, you know, the mind wanders and we catch it, what do we do? We get mad at ourselves, right? So we've paved that that pathway really good, right? We've paved all these anxiety pathways really good too, you know, because we practice getting anxious over things all the time. So it's like flipping the script on your own brain. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's practicing just simply going back to the breath, you know, no drama. <laughs> no, you're gonna do a fight with yourself. No. No. Do you have any recommendations for resources like books or blogs that students can utilize to learn more, especially as it pertains to, you know, academic success or, or even just how to get started? Yeah, so I've been working on compiling a list of resources, actually, that I have on my website. Oh, great. Yeah, on my research website, which I can read off to you right now. Yeah. Maybe you could put in the notes. Yeah, we'll put in the notes. Too, but it's sharp.yukon.edu backslash meditation dash resources. Easy enough. Okay. Yeah, and so on there, I explain the key elements of mindfulness, mm-hmm. acceptance, non-judgment, kindness, noting like they explain kind of how those pieces work um i give instructions on how to meditate and there's links for guided meditations on there um there's a few that i made myself on there and there's some from youtube on there um and there's suggestions for apps Uh, i've got some videos about meditation on there and there's some interviews with students here at uconn that participated in the meditation study are on there as well nice so yeah there's that's a, a great place to where I'm just trying to put all the resources in one place. Yeah, it's like a one-stop shop. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I have a personal favorite podcast that I like to listen to is the um, 10% Happier podcast. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. Yeah. Like I, knew, I know about the 10% Happier app that has the guided meditations. I didn't know that they had their own podcast, too. Yeah. Yeah, so that podcast, um, I really like the first 100 episodes or so. Okay. It's up to, like, a lot higher than that now, but the first 100 episodes... Dan Harris is the one that hosts that. Mm -hmm. Um, And he interviewed some of the top researchers in meditation around the world. He interviewed the Dalai Lama. He interviewed, um, you know, long-term meditators that have had their brains scanned and they're the happiest person in the world according to their brain (laughs) scan. You know, so he, so basically he kind of, after he he maxed out all of the people that were the best people to interview, I think, honestly. And now he's interviewing, like his interviews have expanded wider Mm -hmm. now, which is why I would suggest going back to those first hundred of them because those are the really, really great um, people to interview so to hear you know really from the source um, so cool it's, it's really neat yeah. we'll check it out so no pressure but if you feel open to it do you want to lead me and Emma and our listeners in like a just a two to three minute quick meditation so they can get an idea of what, what of course it, what it's like. okay awesome yeah yeah absolutely all right so before we start okay it's important to adjust your positioning so 
I like to sit up tall and put both feet flat on the floor, maybe put my hand on my lap. And the reason that you sit up really tall is because we talked about that breathing piece being key, right? So if we're gonna take long, deep breaths to trigger that relaxation response in the body, it's important to be able to use your full lung capacity. Okay. So we'll, we'll sit up nice and tall. And if you're comfortable closing your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes and take a big deep breath in and a big sigh out. And just take a few more big deep breaths at your own pace. And just continue breathing steady through your nose now, if you're able to. And just pay attention. Just pay attention to whatever it is that you notice the most right now. Maybe it's something inside of your body. Maybe it's something going on around you. But just checking in with whatever you notice right now. Just be curious. Be like, huh, that's interesting that I could hear my heart beating right now or whatever it is that you notice. And just continue to breathe a little bit deeper and a little bit smoother. See if you could try to lengthen the exhale and begin softening all the muscles in the face. Just release your forehead, soften your eyelids. Continue to breathe nice and deep and full as you release through the hinge of the jaw Maybe even let the back of the tongue widen in the mouth. And invite the neck to soften. And just release any tension that you're holding in your shoulders, down your back, down your arms. Just let your arms be heavy. And still breathing in and out nice and deep and full. And just beginning to let your legs feel heavy. And beginning to notice your feet on the ground or anywhere else that you're connected to the ground. I'm here now, I'm letting go. Softening and relaxing tension. We're going to begin to anchor our minds in a moment now, now that we've relaxed the body a little bit, by focusing on counting the breath, because that gives the mind something to do. So just follow along with me the best you can. And it's okay if you're still breathing in when I say hold, or if you're still breathing out when I say hold, that's fine. Just follow along with, with some ease. Here we go. We'll breathe in, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four, and breathe out, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, 
four, and breathe out, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four. Breathe in, two, three, four, and hold, two, three, four, and breathe out, two, three, four, or whatever your count is. And you're gonna try that on your own in a moment. Just counting to whatever your count is. Or if you prefer, you could just say in on the inhale and out on the exhale if the counting gets to be too much. So go ahead and begin now, just for one minute on your own. Now maybe you want to continue counting the breath if that's helping you focus and relax and anchor the mind. Or maybe you just want to focus on the sensation of the breath. Some people even like to visualize the breath by visualizing it in the form of color. Like breathing in, the color green, breathing out, like an orangey red, whatever color you like. So maybe just trying that now for a moment. And just honoring taking this time for yourself. Honoring taking this time to reset and to come back into balance. Knowing that we could often be more, more productive and more effective when we take just a little time for the self-care. That the more peaceful we feel on the inside, the more peaceful the where the world often appears on the outside. So as you're finishing up your meditation practice, maybe bring your chin down to your chest and just take a moment to tune into your body. Maybe a big sigh and some gentle stretches here. Noticing how you're feeling right now without judgment. Just noticing. A lot of times we try to be a certain way, like this is supposed to make me feel this way, you know. Meditation is really about just being with what is. Practicing being with what is. So whenever you're ready, you can 
Open your eyes, maybe stretch your arms up. Maybe take a little spinal twist, big yawn, whatever you need. Thanks for trying it out. Yeah, thank you. That was so great. <laughs> it's just nice to reset. We're in the middle of the day here, so it's nice to take a moment to mm. to reset. Yeah, sometimes I notice that like um, when I go to meditate in the middle of the day, you know, I have everything that's happened so far that day, and it's almost, you know, it starts to build, starts mm-hmm. to kind of grow on you and get, give you that little agitation. And then I take a couple minutes to meditate, and then when I walk out of the meditation room, I'm like, what was even bothering me? I don't even <laughs> it remember. Seems so, it seems so small. Yeah, it just it's just doesn't seem as big of a deal anymore. Yeah, you know, it's still there. It didn't go away, but it just doesn't seem like as big Manage- of a deal. Manageable. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Are there any final thoughts that you might want to share? Um, I guess just emphasizing, you know, finding what works for you and knowing it doesn't have to be a one size fit all. That you know, sometimes when people are just starting out with a new practice that they find, you know, maybe my run is my meditation, mm. you know, mm. maybe that's my, my time, but it, but it's really about the intention, right? So if your intention when you go on a run is to really take that time to clear the thoughts and every time you start making your to-do list that you catch your mind <laughs> and you just bring it back to, you know, that kind of breathing, white space, you know, noticing nature around you if you're running outside. Um, So so you could really bring this into lots of different practices. And even just like the mindfulness practice, which is kind of different, I'll just separate that from the meditation seated, you know, seated meditation Mm -hmm. is kind of what we just did, right? But when you walk out of here, you could notice the trees, notice what the clouds look like in the sky, notice the little squirrels you know so that's kind of about noticing what's going on in your life right around you as it's happening and that's more the mindfulness practice where we practice bringing that into our daily life like practice being fully present in each moment as it occurs because we spend so much of our time on autopilot yeah right and so much of our time with our mind wandering off somewhere else other than actually being here uh, there's one of my favorite studies is a mind wandering study that says how how when people you know that our minds wander like more than half of the day our mind is off somewhere else but when we're fully present and engaged with whatever it is we're doing whether it's a boring task like washing the dishes doesn't matter but we're happier and more satisfied when we're fully present so kind of practicing bringing that full presence into your life over and over you know a hundred times a day even if it's as simple as like I'm buying a bagel from the cashier and I'm gonna look at them you know and I'm gonna engage in just in that moment right there so just kind of capturing as many moments almost of our lives so that's really where it brings a richness to our lives well thank you so much for sharing your time and your thoughts and your research with us we really appreciate you um, being on our podcast and sharing this with students Well, thank you for having me.
So you just heard us uh, listening and talking to Becky Akavchuk, and we just wrapped up a little meditation session. I hope that you were able to participate and found it, you know, useful and relaxing and centering. We are in the midst of a, a very busy day here at yes. UConn, and so I just feel so fortunate that we got to take time out of our day to have that experience. And honestly, it just brought me back down to earth to have that midday meditation session. But um, Emma, were there certain things that you found most interesting about our conversation that you maybe want to talk about? One thing that stood out to me was how she distinguished between meditation and mindfulness. Oh, yeah, because they're often lumped together. together. I, I kind of thought they were, not, yeah, the same, I guess. Yeah. But then thinking about how to be present, more present in the moment, like, all throughout your day. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about, like, the environment and perceiving things maybe in more detail, you know, and just take that time for yourself and not letting your thoughts just wander all over the place all the time. Like, that that could be something very beneficial. Yeah, it's so hard. Oh, at least I think it's hard sometimes to be present. It's like, it's like kind of a buzz word or like a buzz theme nowadays. But the reality is, like, we're on our phones and, you know, people... There, I have experience where people are talking to me and I'm like, oh, let me just respond to this text really quick. And it's like, no, like you can just take a minute, be engaged in this conversation and then get back to that person or whatever on your phone later on. And so it's, it's challenging and it takes, you know, an intentional effort. Something that I thought about when she was talking about that too, um, was that, okay, speaking about podcasts, like sometimes I'm listening to a podcast and I'm trying to relax, but I'm also checking like my Instagram or yeah. reading tweets mm-hmm. or something. And I'm like, oh gosh, I you just have to missed, hit that like, rewind 15 second yes. button all the time. Over and over again. I do it too. <laughs> yes. And then I'm just in the end not feeling relaxed, but I'm like stressed. So I'm going to try and be more intentional about like focusing on what I'm doing and not like adding in a bunch of different things at the same time. Yeah. Another thing I thought was interesting that, you know, we've heard now a couple times is about this concept of neuroplasticity and how, you know, people can train and retrain their brains. And it's almost like intimidating to think about what ways have I trained my brain already, (laughs) you know, that maybe needs some conscious undoing. So I'm going to look more into neuroplasticity and it's, I just find that stuff so fascinating. I could have talked to Becky all afternoon, probably. Me too. <laughs> Me too. But anyway, I hope that you listening check out Becky's website. We'll put the link in the podcast notes. And I encourage you to, to see if you can't make meditation a part of your daily or weekly you know, part of your life and, and see the benefits. And we'd love to hear from students about how meditation and, and practicing mindfulness has positively impacted them so anything else that's it all right enjoy the rest of your day thanks for listening Mm -hmm.